0: Good morning, morning. hey, welcome, my name is Jeffrey, I am one of the pastors on the team and I get uh, the honor to wrap up the storm series this morning. If you've been around Beltway very long, you know that every summer, Pastor David takes a few weeks off to study and plan for the next year and plans out all of our sermon series for uh, whatever the year is coming after that. But this year is a little different. Uh, He's taken a longer sabbatical and study break where he's kind of just refreshing, getting just everything that he needs so that he can come back here and lead us uh, for the foreseeable future. And uh, as one of the guys that gets called in from the bullpen whenever David is gone, I just want to say thank you. Uh, the last week before he left he got up here and he asked if people would just stay engaged and I have it has been such an honor that you would stay engaged. Uh, I know I'm not David. I'm prettier and I dress a little bit better but I'm not him. Um, that's a joke I've made a thousand times from here so um, I just I want to say thanks. It's meant, uh, These last few weeks have really meant a lot to me. Uh, David's Study break always comes sometime in either June or July. And so in that time, I usually get to jump in and preach a week or two. And every year I get hit with the same thought. Um, and I, I just have this burden that feels like there are so many of us that are confused and we're misguided. And my, my hope over the next few moments is that you hear truth and God does something in you. The beach is a horrible place to go. <laughs> okay, no, come in. This is family. It's all right. Just bring it in. The beach is awful. I don't understand why anyone likes the beach. It is hot all the time. It's in it's, you get in the water, you're hot, you're out of the water, you're hot. There are 40-year-olds wearing bathing suits they shouldn't have worn in their 20s. <laughs> right? And you can't get those images out of your head. They're there forever. There's sand everywhere. Once you go to the beach the first time, you find sand for the rest of your life. It's just a part of you. It becomes you and the sand are one and it is now a part of your life and you carry it with you everywhere you go. And, and so I, I hate the beach and every year I try to take this moment to open your eyes to truth, but you're not the only people's eyes that I'm trying to open. I need my wife's eyes to be open to truth because she loves the beach and we created offspring that love the beach. So what do I do every year? I go to the beach and I hate it. So a few years ago, and this you're gonna think less of me right here, okay? And just, we're gonna get that out in the open, call a spade a spade, it is what it is. A Few years ago, we were at the beach and I saw an ad for sandcastle lessons. Honest to God, my first thought was, if I pay this person to come teach my kids to do the sandcastles, then I don't have to do anything with them in that moment. And so we brought him in. And if you want to picture a person, uh, just in your brain, I would like you to picture what a person would look like whose whole career is building sandcastles, okay? Get that person in your brain. That's exactly what he looked like. I promise, I don't even know what you thought. It's him. And it was, he was tremendous. I mean, he came out and I was like, I'm not sure about this anymore, but then he started teaching my girls how to build these sandcastles, and he spent an hour and a half with them, teaching them, and they built the most ridiculous sandcastle that I have ever seen. This is what it looked like. Maybe this is what it looked like. If you can't see it that well, this sandcastle is like five feet wide, it has turrets and bridges and windows and stairs. I mean, they spend two hours building this, and what you can't see behind the sandcastle is there's other little huts and houses and rivers and streams. I mean, it is ridiculous, and it was amazing. And then the next morning, we came out to do the beach thing, because here's the worst thing about the beach is that you do the exact same thing the next day. So we came out to do the same thing. sand kingdom, Just a pile of sand. and I've been thinking a lot about that this week. I've been thinking about this memory and how sad my kids were in that moment because I hoped that it would sour them on the beach, but it didn't. But I've been thinking about that pile of sand that was this big, gigantic, incredible sandcastle that my girls spent hours on. And I was hit with this thought. There are many times our lives can feel like a sandcastle. We spend all this time building our life. We go to school to get the right degree. We find the career that's going to meet our needs and it's going to meet our wants and we're going to thrive in it. And we find a spouse that we love and we have kids and then we get hobbies and we get, we get all these things that we love and we build this whole life. And then we start to get hit with the what if wave. What if this career isn't what I thought it was going to be? What if this bill comes in that I wasn't planning for? What what if my kids twist off and they go do their own thing and they kind of walk away from me and walk away from the faith? What if this issue I'm going through with my spouse doesn't get any better? What, what if, what if, what if? For many of us, it feels like any part of the sandcastle of our life might be toppled if the wrong wave hits us at the wrong time. And life can feel fragile, it can feel precarious. And trust me, I get it because there are so many times that I have been in the quiet places of my heart going, I am not sure I can take another wave. I think if this one hits me just at the right time, I'm gonna watch the life that I built begin to crumble and begin to deteriorate. And if we're just honest, that is an awful feeling. That what if wave is is the reason that we are seeing stress and anxiety skyrocket in our nation right now. And I'm not talking about the anxiety, the clinical thing that doctors can be a part of and help give us medicine to help. I love that we have medical professionals that can deal with that. And people I love and care for so much are on medicine because it's clinical anxiety. I'm talking about the what if anxiety. What if the next thing happens? What if this circumstance that I formulated in my brain actually occurs and we begin to feel stress and we begin to feel anxiety and that mentality that we wake up with often and go to bed with, it can feel all-consuming, and then we can just get overwhelmed. But you want to know something crazy about my girl's sandcastle? It wasn't the wave that knocked it over. That was the final straw, but it wasn't actually the wave that was the problem. Built the right way, that sandcastle could have lasted a long time. At many of these beaches, they do these sandcastle competitions and they'll build these huge sandcastles that'll last weeks and months and they'll be able to weather anything that might happen. You know why? Because what they're built on is actually made to withstand anything. For my girls, it wasn't, the problem was not the wave. The problem is that the tide began to come in and pick away at its foundation. Because its foundation was just sand. And so it would just keep licking away at the foundation. And then all of a sudden, just one little wave, because of what it was built on, could knock the whole thing over. And one of the things I love about Scripture, and that we've dove into in this sermon series, is that you can wave-proof your life. You and I can wave-proof our life. You can have a life that no matter what storm comes, no matter what rain or wind, no matter what life might throw at you, you can be safe. You can waveproof your life. It is a truth that we see in Scripture. And I want us to look at it together. So if you will, grab a Bible. We're gonna camp out in one passage today. It's in Matthew 7, verse 24. If you didn't bring a Bible Find one. There's one around you, underneath your chair, the chair in front of you. If you're online, there's a Bible right there on the screen. You can click that icon. So Matthew 7, let me kind of catch us up where we're at in our story. Matthew 7, Jesus is finishing up the most important sermon that anyone's ever preached. At the beginning of Matthew 5, which is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus sees a crowd and he begins to preach. And for two chapters, he preaches on just topic after topic after topic. He talks about anger. He talks about lust. He talks about the golden rule. He talks about loving our enemies. He talks about how to pray. He talks about what it looks like to follow him. It is topic after topic after topic. If you've never read the Bible and you want to know a good place to start, Matthew 5 through 7 is the single most important sermon anyone ever gives. And it is incredible. It would be a great place for you to start. He just hits thing after thing after thing after thing. And then, as he's finishing up this sermon, he hits our text in Matthew 7, 24. It says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Obviously, there are differences between the two builders There are also some similarities. We see both in verse 24 and 26, they both heard the word of the Lord. They both built houses, which if you haven't caught on yet, you're in the business of building a house. That's what you're doing day in and day out right now. We are building a house. The house of our life is being built. And then Jesus says that they both experienced the storm. And we've hit this every week. But the reality is nowhere in scripture do we ever see Jesus say that we can avoid a storm. The wise and the foolish man both had the same storm. They had the streams rising that they were dealing with. They had the wind that was overwhelming them. They had the waves. They both experienced the storm. If you ever wonder why, because I do, why, why God would you allow me to be your follower and still experience storms? It's because the moment that sin entered the world, everything broke. You have Adam and Eve. They're walking in relationship with the father. They would just spend the day with him, talking to him, being with him. There was never any disease. There was never any heartbreak. There was never any sadness. That was not a part of the world. And then they sinned. And then everything broke. And then we started to see disappointment, discouragement, heartbreak, difficulty. We started to see storms. And until the moment that Jesus comes back, riding on his horse, tattoos on his thighs, sword in his hand, ready to set up his new kingdom, until Jesus returns, we will all experience storms. Both the wise builder and the foolish builder had the same storm. One house survived, the other didn't. The only difference, according to Jesus, was the foundation. One was rocked by the storm and destroyed. One made it through. One was built on rock, and one was built on sand. If we want the the wave-proof life, and I don't know about you, but I definitely want a a life where the what-if wave doesn't become my all-consuming thought. If we want a life that can weather any storm at all, then we need to get to the place that we do a foundation check. What is my foundation made of? Is it sand? Is it rock? Jesus says, the only difference between the two is what we did with what he said. Everyone who hears these words of mine, so we heard him, and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When we read that, it's easy for us to go, what dummy would build a house on sand? How stupid did he have to be that he thought that that house would survive? you want to know the truth, I think it is far easier for us to build a house on sand than we would ever imagine. And I think it's easy for us to do it without even realizing that we're doing it, especially here in Abilene. Now I love this city. I have been here for since I was 17, so a good long time at this point. It was in this very room that I met my wife. And then 17 years ago, June 30th, we stood like right about here, with Pastor David, both of us having lots more hair than now, and got married. I love this place. My girls are being raised here. I love this church. I love living in Abilene. I could use some more restaurants. We're not very good drivers, and Buffalo Gap might be the end of me, but (laughs) other than all those things, this is an incredible, incredible place. But if we're honest, being a Christian in Abilene is so easy. It's not like you you've got believers in California or New York or foreign countries that if you call yourself a Christian, it is an ostracizing thing that you are looked at differently. Here in Abilene, it's almost the norm to just do the Christian thing, to just have a quote unquote faith. And we build our faith in a million ways. Sometimes we've built the faith based on our parents that our parents love Jesus, took us to church, and therefore we love Jesus, and we sometimes go to church. And it's great to have parents that love Jesus. The problem is that's their faith, not mine. Or we can build our faith off our spouse's faith, that we come and we do the church thing and the Christian thing, and we might even be involved in a life group, but we do all those things because our spouse wants us to and we want to make them happy, but that's their faith that they're building, not necessarily the faith that I'm building. We can believe the lie that if I'm a good person, then therefore that is my faith. And each of those, whether it's my spouse's faith, my parents' faith, me being a good person, each of those is a house built on a sand foundation. Listen, I love that my parents love Jesus and pointing me to him. I love that my wife loves Jesus. And we should all strive to be a good person. But being a good person doesn't mean my life is built on the rock. It doesn't mean that I am a follower of Jesus. And this is a hard truth. I I recognize it. But in, in Abilene, it's easy for us to just kind of get numb to what it really means to be a Christian. And if our foundation is anything other than Jesus, it is sand. And we are susceptible to every storm of life. I think we've seen that over this last season. If you look at the big C church, not, not Beltway, but like the big church, there's a movement going on right now called deconstruction. And in deconstruction, if you haven't heard of it, people are taking their faith, the life that they had built, the faith that they had built, and they're stripping it all the way down and seeing what's left. And inevitably, what's left is nothing. Deconstruction at its core is because people had foundation issues that their faith was built on something, not Jesus. It might've been on an institution or in a person, but not Jesus. It might've been that they're a good person, not Jesus. It might've been their parents' faith, their spouse's faith. Anything other than Jesus is a foundation built on sand. So we've watched the church be ravished by deconstruction. We're watching people walk away from him that have a lifelong quote unquote faith, but that it wasn't ever in Jesus. COVID did this too. We saw it in the midst of that. We watched in 2020 and 21, the most heartbreaking season of my life for a million reasons. One of them being, we watched the church and people's faith be crushed by things that had nothing to do with Jesus. Masks, no mask, vaccines, social distancing, all these things that aren't Jesus. And we watched people's faith be destroyed because the foundation was faulty, it is truly easy for us to build a life with a sand foundation. It's easy for us to hear the words of Jesus and not do them. But I don't want a sand foundation. In my life, I don't want that at all, and I don't want it for you. I want us to know what it's like to feel confident and secure that no matter the storm, I'm going to be okay. Because my foundation was on the rock. And Jesus says, this is how we do that. Therefore, everyone who hears the words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Jesus says, here's the key. Hear what I'm saying and then do it. A faith that can withstand the storm is built on one thing, hearing the words of Jesus and then doing them, following through with what he said. It's easy for us to go, well, then you're saying that my faith has to do with my works. Is that? No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying a byproduct of truly hearing the words of Jesus is action. We cannot possibly hear what he commands and then not do them. If we do that, then we build a sand foundation. To hear his words and and not have them spur us onward makes no sense. James says it like this. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. James says, you know how crazy it is to hear the words of God and not do them? It's like a man who looked at his own face in the mirror, turned around and forgets what he looked like. That makes no sense. You have to hear it and then do it. It's not just coming to church. It's not just your spouse's faith. It's not being a good person. At its core, it's not even just reading the Bible. It is hearing what he says and then acting on it. And if that's the case... You know what's going to happen in our life? Things are going to look different. Because when we read in Scripture and it says, hey, there's a call to tithe, to live off 90% and give 10% away. We can read that. That's one thing. It's a whole different thing to then act on it. And that can feel daunting. You know why? Because in our brains we go, how can 90% be better than the 100% I had before? Except we remember it is him that offered all of it anyway. And 90% with him is better than 100% without him. But... It's hearing what he said about tithing and then acting on it. Maybe it's the, the part when he talks about time and how we each were created to do life together, that you are, you are needed and people need you and you need people, that iron sharpens iron so one man sharpens another, that how bad would it be for one person to fall down and not have a brother there to pick him up? It's, we read that and then we go, well, that's well and good, but then we have to say yes to it And it might be getting involved in a life group. You know what saying yes to a life group might mean? No to other things. It might be no to that extra kid's activity. No to that hobby. No to that thing that you want to do. No to being a part of the board so that you can say yes to the action that Jesus called you to. Yes, it's one thing to hear. It's a whole different thing to do and a whole different thing to act. Might mean we use our words differently because what he tells us in his scripture is that our words have the power of life and death. So then we get to choose, I heard that, will I do anything with it? The next time I'm talking about somebody on the different political aisle, will I choose to speak life or not? And I am more convinced than I've ever been in my whole life that one of the primary areas the church is building a sand foundation is what we say and how we say it. When people look at the church and they go, well, what is that? And they see and hear what we're saying. We're missing what he said and then acting on it. Our words have the power of life. That requires action. It might mean that you on Sundays have to change your routine from going to a service and then leaving to go watch the Cowboys lose. It might mean you go to one service and then you remember that he says in his scripture, that we all have gifts that are used to edify and build up the church. And you go, maybe it's time for me to start using my gifts. Maybe you worship one and then you work one and you go start serving in our kids ministry. Listen, if you don't like kids, don't serve in kids ministry. But that's not the only place you can serve. We got a massive guest services team. We've got student ministry. We've got all different things that are going on. It might mean that you gotta do things a little different. Hearing his words and then acting on them is different. Maybe today it's time to hear his word calling you to say yes to him for the first time. That's going to take action. Will it change things? Absolutely. I cannot tell you for sure what it will look like for you. What I know from Matthew 7, 24 through 29, is that one said yes to the action And one heard and did nothing. One had a solid rock foundation and one had a sand foundation. And when that storm hit, only one survived. And it was the one who heard and did. Jesus offers us a house built so securely on the rock that no matter what wave, wind, storm comes our way, we are secure. This is what I want for you. Because I know the storm's coming. I want a firm foundation that no matter what the what-if wave comes, we can go, I'm safe. I'm secure. This is a big old storm. But I'm okay. And I'm going to make it through. And I want to show you what it looks like when we do this.
1: I would say we had a pretty normal childhood. Um, we vacations and hunting trips and School, did a lot of church stuff. There were several instances that I can remember getting not only verbally abused, but slapped. It didn't matter what. I felt like I could never do anything right. And then, of course, the loss of my sister, Trina, when she was 17 years old. And having to learn how to live without her I had to hear it from my dad the next morning. And while he's sobbing, he's telling, having to tell me the, the news. Mom never accepted um, Trina being taken. She didn't hate God for it, but she did. She never did accept it. She became worse when we using our words and would make accusations towards me and my family about a lot of things, about how we were raising our kids, and physical appearances of my daughters and my wife, and just very negative. Uh, when dad passed away, it was a, a short illness, and whenever he was in his last days, Mike and I were asked by dad to take care of mom the best we could. I tried to do that every day. It was very difficult to do that in the face of verbal abuse. Nobody would have known I was an angry person because I internalized it. On Super Bowl Sunday, 2014, we had an ice storm. I slipped and fell and landed on my right side. I was almost instantly incapacitated for months. Three surgeries later, and four years later, I'm still dealing with pain. God was trying to get my attention, but it wasn't until last Father's Day that I realized God was trying to do something in my heart. Julianne is my youngest daughter, and uh, she wrote me this book that you had to fill in the blank. She had a sentence and fill in the blank. First one was, I love your jokes. We always have the best time when." when we have quality time together. When I was little, I loved to go to work with you. I love you, how you never get tired of my talking. If I had to describe you, it'd be one word, it would be selfless. I learned to serve without complaint because of you. Yeah, you were right about all the guys. I admire your dedication to God and family. Sometimes your ability to respond, not react, amazes me. I love that you taught me to appreciate mom. Your hugs are always comforting, and that's about where I lost it. I couldn't finish the book. When I realized that my heart was as broken as my mom's, and I got myself, I, uh, I asked the Lord to take it from me. It was when I was at the Word, Power, Spirit conference on the last night, I went down and prayed for her. After that last night, I realized that I wasn't dealing with the anger anymore. I started calling her more frequently and asking her if there's anything I could do for her or her house or can I go get you anything? When I started doing that this year, it changed everything. She began to end her phone conversations with I love you, Gary, and I had not heard that most of my life. Yeah, on April 22nd, We were woken up at 3.40 in the morning, went to the door, and it was the fire department chief and chaplain there telling us that Mom had been involved. Mom's house was on fire, and she did not survive. And then it didn't take long for me to realize that Mom was back with Trina again and Dad. I grieve our relationship that I had with her, but I I do love my mom. And I grieve that she's gone, but there is joy that's been replaced there because I know she's now healed.
0: So that man is my father-in-law. I've known him since I was 17. He doesn't even hit at all. He's gone through storms. His little sister Trina, he talked about, she passed away on Treadway in North 10th when she was coming home from Abilene High's homecoming. She was in high school. She got hit by a fire truck. And then him and my mother-in-law lost their first home when my wife was a baby to a house fire. And then... Gary had that fall that he talked about and it gave him numbness in his hands for months and months and months. And he's in construction, so that makes things difficult. And then he had another fall that did the same thing. And he talks about his relationship with his mom. It was hard. And then just when it was getting good, that April morning, and I will never, ever forget that day. It was a Sunday morning, way before I was getting up to get ready for church. And I got a phone call from him. I mean, that man has gone through storms. And through every single one in the 20 plus years that I've known him, he stayed strong. He stayed secure. Never once have I heard him question his faith. Does that mean it was easy? No. Every single one of those experiences was hard, it was difficult. There were parts of it that were overwhelming. But never once did Gary waver because his foundation was in Jesus and in all that he had for him. So he was safe. and He was secure. And that's what I want for each of us. I would never wish what's gone on in Gary's life on anyone that I know. But if I can't avoid the storm, I want to know how to stay secure in the middle of it. If it's unavoidable, if it's going to come no matter what, I want to know how I cannot be overwhelmed and have my world destroyed. I want to stay safe and secure, and I want that for you. And if I could stop every storm from hitting you, I would. I know many of your stories. I know the difficulties with your kids, struggles in your marriage or your job. If I could snap my fingers and everything would go away, it would all be better. I would. i do it in my own life. One beautiful thing that I've seen in people's lives over the years is that when we hear his words and we do them and we build a solid rock foundation on Jesus, then whenever those storms come, all they do is they cause us to lean into Jesus even more because he's the one who made us secure. So we lean into our foundation. He's the one that made us safe, so we lean into his comfort. He's the one who did all of it anyway, so we just lean into our Savior, who is the one who gives us a solid foundation. And so today, there's an opportunity for us to do a foundation check. And there are some of you, as I was writing this sermon, I felt this burden of knowing what it's like to feel like, what if the next wave hits? There are some of you that I think your whole foundation is sand and my heart breaks for you because I know how overwhelming that can feel. I know that that can be a desperate place. and I know that in him alone is life. In Jesus alone is hope in hopeless situations. In Christ alone is peace in circumstances where it feels like peace would be impossible in him alone is a firm foundation. And look at me, if your foundation is sand, he is for you and he desperately wants you to have the life that he has for you. We do not have to settle for a sand foundation when the cross offered us a solid rock foundation. And if your foundation, as you think about your life, is sand. The invitation this morning is Jesus. And maybe there are those of you in here who've said yes to Jesus. You've been following him. You kind of built your foundation on the rock. But then you've noticed that Maybe there's some sand creeping in. I think foundation, foundation checks should be routine maintenance in the life of a believer. Because it's easy, just like that tide came in and started licking away at the girl's foundation. And then it was just the wave that knocked it over. It's easy for in our life to have little things and little things and little things eat away at the foundation of our life. And then all of a sudden we look up, never having made any decision to build our foundation on sand. And realize, I've done it all on my own. I, I got to the place that I was just relying on me. And there are those of us in here today who need to do some foundation repair. As I was writing this week, I was asking myself the question like, what are, what are areas of this in me? Are there areas? Are there areas that I've just gonna, have begun to rely on Jeffrey? On my own abilities, my own strengths? Are there things that I know God's calling me to say yes to that I've just been hesitant to say yes to? And in the kind way that the Holy Spirit always does, it's just, yeah, let me show them to you. So what about for you? Where are you at? As you think about your life, And what's going on day in and day out? Are there areas that you've allowed sand to creep in? You've begun to rely on you and not him. You've begun to trust you and not him. Maybe there's an action you know he's calling you to take, but you've been hesitant to take it. Is that, if that's where you're at, then we've started to build a little bit of a sand foundation. And the invitation for you this morning is to say yes to trusting him anew. To say yes to the actions that he's calling you to take. And I I get it. I understand why it's so hard for us when he tells us to tithe or change how we speak or do things different with our time or all that he calls us to do. I understand the hesitancy. And you know what it almost always is? It's I know me. I know my own strength. I know my own failures. I know that you're calling me to something crazy. I can't do that. You're calling me to take a step that feels overwhelming. I know I can't do it. And so we say no because we know our own weaknesses. And then we forget the truth of 2 Corinthians. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong." Listen, I get that it can be overwhelming to the yes that he calls us to, but guess what? You were never gonna be able to do it on your own anyway. There are so many times he's calling me to things that I know I could give you a litany of reasons why I would fail, but it is in my weakness that his strength is shown. It is in my own failures that his grace is shown. It is in me that you can see all the ways that God is so much greater In my weakness, he is strong. For my power is made perfect, he says, in weakness. And for you and I, whenever we run into the yes that he calls us to, to whatever step it might be, and then that storm hits, you know what people go? They don't go, man, Jeffrey's awesome. They ask you, hey, how are you making it through? And you can go, I don't know. How are you surviving this season? I don't have a clue. Except God. How are you making it? Just him. In my weakness, his strength shines so great. When we build our foundation on the rock and the storm hits and we survive, it points people to Jesus. Every testimony we share is a testimony of a weathered storm. Gary's testimony that I showed earlier is a testimony of a firm foundation built in Jesus and he weathers the storm because of it. Rodney Ritter's testimony that I shared a few weeks ago of him losing his dad, watching his dad pass away in the lake is a testimony of a firm foundation set in Jesus and he weathers the storm because of it. I shared Laura and Hal Brandenburg's testimony a couple of weeks ago. I talked about it. A testimony of 10 years of infertility and their testimony is a testimony of a weathered storm that they survived because of Jesus. Whenever we hear the stories about how God showed up and showed off, it always points people to Jesus. So we wanted to give you a resource this week. I know your notes are done. Before you put them away, write this down. YouTube.com slash Beltway Park Church. On there is testimonies. Because sometimes, you know what, when we're in the middle of that storm and we need to remember that our God's got this, we go to the times that we've seen him move. So we have testimonies on there of people that have overcome PTSD. Testimonies of people that have gone through series of uh, seasons of infertility. Howell and Laura's testimonies on there. Gary's is on there. Rodney's is on there. Testimonies from people who lost their kids. Testimonies of God's provision and God's healing. Every one of those is on there. Because in the middle of a storm, sometimes we need to remember how great and powerful and big our God is. And every testimony we share is a testimony of a weathered storm only survived by a foundation built in Jesus. So if you will, if you'll put your notes away, I want to give us a moment to respond. This whole week, I've been thinking about the areas of my own life that had a sand foundation. And I've been thinking about those of you who've never said yes to Jesus. Because I know that in him is life and only in him is hope, only in him is peace. And I want that for you as much as I want anything at all. I want you to find Jesus and to say yes to him because it is in him that we are safe and secure. It is in him that there is life. And in just a minute, I'm gonna ask you to be bold. And if you wanna say yes to him as your foundation, maybe you built your life on your spouse's faith. Maybe you've done the I'm a good person thing. Maybe you've heard his words and never done them. His invitation to you today is himself. And his greatness and his power and his kindness and his love, his comfort and his hope, his life. So if that's you and you want to say yes to Jesus as your foundation, whether you're at the South Campus, you're at the North Campus, you're at our online campus, I'm just going to ask that you raise your hand right now. Be bold. I can't see much. I love that. Maybe there are those of you in here who've let the sand creep in. The invitation for you today is to be bold. It's easy for us to turn the other cheek, turn the other, turn our eyes away and go, you know what? That's a different problem for a different day. That's true, unless that wave hits. And his invitation is him to say yes, to trust that through your weakness, through your own failures, he's strong. When we feel weak, his power is made known so great. So be bold enough to say yes to the action he calls you to take. You might need to tell a friend. Sometimes we need to talk about it with other people. That's why we're made to do life with other people. Confess to them, hey, I've been trusting me in this and I need to trust him. Be bold enough to say yes to whatever he has for you. Because a firm foundation in Jesus is so much better than a sand foundation without him. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We Thank you, God, that we get to be in your presence. God, we thank you for those that raise their hands saying they want to say yes to you forever. God, would we never be numb to the beauty of your saving grace. for those of us who have some foundation repairs that we need to get to? Would you allow us to be bold enough to not put them off? Would we trust that your strength is made perfect in our weakness and say yes to whatever you're calling us to say yes to? Maybe say no to the things that we need to say no to. We want a firm foundation set in you and in you alone. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.